0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we're giving away a bunch of brand new
2: Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music.
1: Hey, welcome to episode 29 of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. My is Matt Edmund.
2: And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we are going to just kind of catch up on everything that we've been up to lately. We haven't been able to record a podcast for the past few weeks because we've had some crazy things going on, and we were going to talk about them and try to hopefully find things that relate to the bigger field of directing and hopefully something that can apply to your life, too. As you'll learn in the podcast,
1: some big, big stuff happened. So we thought this would be a, the act of God episode is is what I want to
2: call this one. When the unexpected happens. That's this episode. Stay tuned, everyone. So let's start this episode off by answering this question. Matt, what have you been working on lately? Uh-huh. It's been a while since we've talked.
1: So uh, i we shot a handful of things, actually. I did a spot with Will Arnett a couple of weeks ago that should be coming out relatively soon and post on that, which is super fun. And then I'm doing some Time Warner spots. Thanks to you, dude. Yeah, I just found out about that like yesterday. Oh, oh, really? (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, it's been going super well. I kind of just inherited the project because you've been busy on other stuff. But when are you guys shooting? Thursday. Yeah, we should. Oh, wow. Only can. Yeah. yeah, it's been really great. It's, it's kind of been I've been in writing and pitching mode for so long that it's nice to kind of get back into the saddle with kind of like a situation where I'm kind of inheriting a lot of different like team members and things like that. So it's really interesting to kind of just step in and be like a, a
2: day player in, in a certain sense. What do you mean by that? Like there's a producer, a DP, uh, an editor, and the whole crew is on and they're just bringing a director to pop to drop into the shoot. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea, at least. You know, I think every director, half of the job is like suggesting who you want to hire and who you gel with and things like that. And I think fortunately, you know, we work with a lot of the same people, so it hasn't really felt strange or anything like that. So it's been great. But enough of that, Oren, what have you been working on lately?
2: Well, so I've been working on this like big Verizon Go 90 Anaconda sci-fi action comedy adventure series. And it's been really fun. So I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's basically the story of this beauty pageant winner who has a twin sister that's like been selected to go represent Earth in the the universe to fight for the protection of of the human species. And, you know, on the day that she's supposed to be beamed up to space to go fight to save the Earth, they accidentally beam up her sister because she has uh, the same DNA. So this beauty pageant girl who's played by Anna Akana, who also created the show and is also really big on YouTube and a great actress is playing the, the main girl. And she has to learn how to participate in this competition. So She's the only human character, her and her sister. Everyone else is aliens. Everything takes place in space, like on sets and in spaceships and on alien planets. And there's a lot of shooting and training and aliens and special effects and smoke particles and, you know, blood and all the stuff that makes production really hard. We've got every single one. Like, you know, two of our main characters are in makeup at least three hours a day. So everything we schedule... Yes, three hours. So, like, if we want to shoot them at 10 a.m., they have to be there at 7 a.m. And so that means that we only get to shoot them for a few hours. We have to rearrange all the scenes to have their scenes be later on in the day. So we're shooting everything completely out of order. And with 12 episodes, when you're shooting every single scene out of order, it gets kind of complicated because you have to really be on top of, you know, who the characters are, what scene they came from, what scene they're going to. And a lot of actors are good at that themselves, but when we're we're going so fast and so all over the place, everyone kind of needs to be involved in it, including me. Luckily, we have these two great showrunners, Aaron Brownstein and Simon Gantz. And Simon's actually comes from like a Hollywood family. His dad like created Laverne and Shirley and wrote City Slickers and did all sorts of awesome things. And they come from TV. They wrote on About a Boy and on Parenthood, and they're like super smart, really talented guys. And So having them kind of by my side, checking the tone, checking the characters, helping track everything, the relationships has been so, so helpful. That is until uh, the pre-production meeting a few days before we started shooting when they got hired to write on a Netflix TV show and then had to leave. So that was bummer number one. So (laughs) moving on, this is 120 pages of sci-fi. I just told you how many hours of makeup we do, aliens, sets, Action, stunts, everything. Yeah. And I just want to jump in just to kind of remind listeners also the other tricky thing cross
1: is one thing, right? But adding in all of the VFX and all of the technical elements that kind of requires you to use your imagination or to kind of it's harder to wrap your head around what's happening in the scene when one of your characters is CGI or when you know there were green screen elements somewhere. You know, shitty boyfriends, we, we cross boarded as well, but it was always like. Oh, here are your actors. Here are the jokes you're saying, you know. And it was just as, as easy as reminding, you know, Melissa what date she was on, you know. Right. And mean. you have
2: these very human, real, relatable situations, right? Exactly.
1: So people were oriented very quickly.
2: Yeah, and for those that don't know, crossboarding is when in our show, let's say every episode has a scene that takes place in the, the sci-fi dorm room. You know, and in the first one, it's like she's the first time in the dorm room and she's super confused about what's going on there. And in the final episode, she's like taking a worm from a secret box and putting it up her nose to help her escape some gas thing. I mean, it's like her their character goes, you know, all over the place in this dorm room. And instead of shooting it in order, we're shooting every single dorm room scene at the same time. You know, one after the other after the other. And that's crossboarding. We're not even shooting them in episode order because of this makeup issue we have. We're shooting like episode seven, now episode two, now episode 11. And we just have to get the actors to know exactly where they are in this massive story. Right. And the reason that people do that typically is because,
1: you know, there's a whole bunch of logistics in terms of scheduling and locations and all of that stuff. So shooting it like a movie basically, right, where you're kind of treating it all as one big project where there's a single director and a single team across the board is a a cost-saving trick, basically.
2: Yeah, Uh, we're on a soundstage. And so our dorm room set, when we're done shooting it, they're tearing it down and they're building a different set in its place. So we need to shoot all the dorm room stuff at once, you know. So anyway, back to Miss Earth, the show that I'm directing, which, uh, by the way, Miss Earth, the pageant, they wouldn't let us clear the name. So now the show is called Miss 2059. So not only do we have all these complications, Usually, like, I guess the minimum number of days that I thought we needed to film this was 30. I was like, we might be able to squeeze it out in 30. To make a long story short, they gave me 18 days. They gave me three weeks, pretty much. So I begged them to let us shoot six days a week, which nobody wants to do because by the sixth day, everyone's exhausted and dying and everything. And so kind of the solution we came up with is six days on, two days off. Because, you know, we have union actors and we're going by union rules, more or less, we tried to... It, like the last person that leaves set needs to have at least 10 hours before they're back in set. Is that true? Uh, I always think of it
1: as a, you know, I hear 12, you hear hours? 12 hour twelve hour turnaround, but like, like I a know. a makeup artist? It's a little tricky with pre-calls, but sometimes they'll stagger a call so that, like if you've got a makeup artist that shows up three hours early, then their
2: assistant stays. They late to help come, them get late. out of the makeup. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So because of all this, we like on Monday, our call time is 5 a.m. We have we start filming at 5 a.m. Because we we're filming till 7 p.m. We can't start filming again the next day till 7 a.m. But because we need to do all this makeup stuff, we'll call most of the people at 8 a.m. Anyway, because of that, the, the call time, which is the time that, you know, you're supposed to get to set keeps moving by like an hour or two every single day. So if we start on Monday at 5 a.m. By Saturday, our call time is 11 a.m., which means right. we're finishing at like 1 a.m. Which means if we only had one day off, you're supposed to have 24 hours off on your day off. We we would only get like 18 hours off. So we have to have two days off. Anyway, so six days on, two days off, six days on, two days off, six days on. That's our schedule, 18 days. And that's pretty
1: brutal also because you have to remember that if you're shooting so late on that last day, that means that your first day off is really mostly just recuperating from that six-day,
2: 14-hour-a-day week. You know? Yeah. I mean, even shooting one 14 hour day is like exhausting, but doing it six times in a row is like maddening. Right. And all the things that could go wrong. Like we lost the location, a complete location we've had for a month and a half. We lost it uh, the day before shooting in the city of Hawthorne, by the way, don't shoot in Hawthorne. They pulled our permit the day before the shoot. It was a Friday, by the way, which means you can't know all the offices are closed on Saturday. We're supposed to shoot there on Saturday. So we're shooting for six days. I've lost my showrunners, right, because they're on this other show, which is kind of a bummer. But whatever, we're making it through. You know, great actors like Anna, who had never worked with before, is like so like knows every single line. She knows all the other actors' lines by heart. She's like amazing, does do all her own stunts. All the other actors are really great and funny and have good energy, even though they're under like like tons and tons of makeup. Anyway, so we somehow make it through our first six days. You know, we wrap at like 1 a.m. or whatever. I go home, get into bed at like 2 a.m. next to my wife. And at 5 a.m., I hear like a thud. And I thought my wife had like fallen off in the bed or something. And she's like, Orin, um, I think my water broke. So this is February 21st. My wife is pregnant due March 21st, an entire month later. And I'm like, no, I don't think I think that only happens in movies. Like people's water doesn't really break. That's what I've heard. Anyway, we call the doctor. She's like, come in. To make a long story short, uh, <laughs> about 18 hours later, I have a baby. Mind you, this is between days six and seven of this massive shoot, right? So we have a baby on like Sunday morning at one in the morning. And I have to be in Malibu at 5 a.m. the next morning. And this is our first kid. It's not like I have like a million kids or anything. And so we have this baby. We learn this one's special. A baby. Babies two, three, four, five. They're- no big deal. Well, I imagine you kind of know what's going on with your second <laughs> no, baby. Me, I'm, I'm like, d- you. <laughs> don't know what labor's like, delivery, like all that yeah, stuff. Like, it's, it's all totally new. diapers, you know, and blood, like nursing, and like jaundice, I all these different chemical levels in your system, and tests, and anyway, we sleep literally the entire weekend. I might have slept for thirty minutes at the most. I have to be at five a.m. in Malibu, so. Somehow we make it through that. I get to Malibu at 5 a.m. where it's like 30 degrees, by the way, at 5 a.m. and like 90 degrees by 8 a.m. It's like an insane temperature shift. Let, um,
1: let, let me pause you there because I have I have so many questions. This is kind of really the first time we've talked since all of this stuff has happened. You know, this And whole it time. doesn't end here, by the way. <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm jumping in. So, so this whole time you've known that your wife is pregnant, right? Did mm-hmm. you ever have a conversation with anyone like, hey, what's going to happen if she goes into labor while we're shooting? Like, was there a contingency? Did you have conversations with your producers? Tell me about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, so we had this plan. So I'm freaking out, right? My wife's due March 21st. You never know when a baby's going to come. We're set to shoot till March 7th, which is two weeks before March 21st. I'm like, I don't know, two weeks, thirty weeks. Okay, I think that's a safe buffer. I don't know, not that many, you know, that, that's around when you're supposed to have a baby and first babies usually come late and this whole thing. Anyway, but just in case I can't make it, the number two person, the next person to step in direct is the showrunner, which is why it's so relevant that they got another job like the week before we started shooting and had to jump off the show because they're the only other people that kind of were as involved creatively as me. You know, so if not the showrunner, we can get the DP and we can get the producer who is, was really involved creatively, and we we can cobble together a team. But again, this is like it's not like a, a situation where you are kind of shooting a two shot and two close ups. It's like aliens and makeup, like hours and hours and hours of time spent with the art department figuring out what every prop does and how we're going to use it, how, what every stunt is, and how we what cameras we have, like lenses, shots, equipment. It's like. You have to reteach these people like overnight exactly what our plan was. You know, And on a project this size, usually there aren't that many people that have the entire plan in their head. I'm not saying that it, it's a great thing. I, maybe I should have probably communicated the plan to other people better, but you, you only have so much time. Anyway, so the backup, there was no backup. I mean, the backup was to get like the DP and the producer to somehow direct the show, which, you know, the producer is a director in her own right. And the DP is like super smart and has directed stuff before, but it's, they have so much of their own stuff to deal with right, too. Right. So anyway, there was no real backup plan. And so I was just as unlucky as I was that my baby came four weeks early. I was also lucky that she happened to come on my two days off, like literally the night of my last day on. So anyway, I have this baby, I'm shooting in Malibu, <laughs> it's like crazy scenes where people are fighting monsters, like in the forest. And, you know, the sun and like all the hard stuff about shooting in forests, like the nearest porta potty is like a 20 minute walk and it's like a thousand degrees in it, you know, because the sun's beating down on it. And like literally we have our actresses like peeing in bushes because there's there's no time for them to get back there. Peeing
1: in bushes, I feel like is a great bonding experience for people. You know yeah I mean? well, especially like, I actresses it, I
2: mean I feel like yeah. the guy oh I don't know if I mentioned this in the premise of the show, but the show is also ninety eight percent female. there's only one male character really in the show and a bunch of male extras but so right. it's all actresses, which you know it I was actually thinking about it like if you have like more actresses it, this might be a sexist thing to say I don't think it is, but you'll tell me <laughs> um <laughs> like it just takes a little bit longer to shoot women because. You, you want to make women look good and you want to make men look badass, right? And, like, a sure, man's sure. wrinkles and hard shadows and hard light on a man, you know, they might not look beautiful or soft, but they, they can look hard, you know? Um, yeah, with a woman, you want kind of big, soft light. So it's, like, it's a little bit more work and finesse to make a woman look pretty, you know, with lighting than it is to make a man look, like, cool. Sure, I mean, so, may,
1: maybe maybe another way of thinking of it is, like, With either gender, right, like flattering lighting, like soft, even nuanced lighting is going to take longer. You know, like The Godfather, right? Like they just shot everybody from top lights and everyone had terrible shadows under their eyes. And that was a super cool choice, right? And also makeup is a lot longer. And hair and makeup is is always a thing. Especially, it sounds like your looks are always consistent across your characters. It's not like people are trying a different hairstyle every day or something.
2: Oh, but they are not consistent. Oh, it's like really? all our characters' hair and uniforms and everything morph across the, the season. So like Anna, the main girl, she's like a beauty pageant queen. So at first her hair is like really big and curly and like kind of mm-hmm. full of volume. And then on the ship, she's slowly becoming more of a badass. She's like braiding her hair. It's always to the side. And that's the other thing with women, that with anyone with long hair, like if it's not parted down the middle, if it's like going down one side, you have to kind of plan your master shots and your coverage around what side of their face is more covered with hair, even your lighting, because shadow, you know, you don't want to shadow their faces with their hair. So if they have a bunch of hair on the right side of their face, you'd rather, you know, place them in the right side of frame and your master shot so that the light is coming <laughs> so you can see their face. I, all these crazy things. Luckily, Anna and Nikki Suhu, who's playing her sister, have their hairs on like the opposite sides of each other. So we <laughs> can kind of frame him like that, but you know exactly where to put him in the frame, like which side because of that. So anyway, shooting, right. Another six day block, two days in Malibu, four days on the stage, just again, nonstop trying to make every shot in every day. And then freaking on the end of the second week, my uncle passes away and he's, uh, he was only 56. I mean, he's been, he's been sick for a while and kind of knew it was coming, but no one really believed it really would come. Cause he's, yeah, I don't know. It just it was really sad. I was like really close to him. There were only four people like spoke at his funeral, and I was one of them. I had to write a eulogy for him, like while I was on set trying to shoot this and figuring out how my wife is gonna, you know, like me while I'm not like helping her raise a one week old baby. Um. Anyway, so my second weekend. So I don't know. It's like it, bad luck, but worked out. Like my second time off was coincided with the funeral. So I kind of worked. Out. I haven't missed a shoot day yet, but it's, <laughs> it obviously changes. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm like laughing because it's so insane how emotionally weird it is. But I'm literally like, they're like, okay, orin you got like five minutes before the sun goes over the mountain in Malibu. And I get a call from my brother and he's like, do you want to FaceTime with uncle David? This is probably the last time you'll ever be able to talk to him. Call me right now. He's like, they're removing the ventilator in like 20 minutes. So I'm like, tell the AD, I was like, I know we only have five minutes, but just give me three minutes. <laughs> just going to go around like behind this bush and like <laughs> like have a, a few sure. tears with my uncle. Tell him like what he's meant to me in my life and then come back and be like, Okay, guys, uh, let's go over there. No, no, that doesn't okay, look cool. it. Like, what cool. So put keep this your thing? energy up and uh, let's, yeah. let's oh, try one. Yeah, awesome. Ooh, can I have some <laughs> of that the yeah, peanut yeah. butter yeah. celery snack? Um, yeah, so it's just like a really weird, sad, happy week, you know? Um, and so anyway, the funeral was yesterday. Uh, today, I got a few minutes with my daughter and to fix a bunch of things that are messed up at my house And then tomorrow I go back to uh, the desert at 5 a.m. to film for another 14 hours um, until we're filming daytime and nighttime. We're like lighting Vasquez rocks and then another five days, which I'm completely unprepped for. But luckily, like the DP and I are getting along really well and we can kind of the actors are really good and we we kind of just do it you know, old school style, like let's block this scene, let's find the master shot and let's shoot coverage, you know, and let's find, try to find like one really cool shot for each scene. And so, yeah, it's been crazy. And now Donald Trump, I mean, come on, <laughs> what's next? <laughs> oh, my, also, my website got hacked, but I don't know, that was Wait, what? My own fault. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I used to be an engineer. I talk about it all the time. I made my own website like seven years ago with all these PHP scripts and all this, right. like, totally not secure programs. <laughs> and I don't know, my entire site got hacked and, like, my web server provider, like, shut down my account and the whole the whole other mess. But anyway.
1: Yeah, so there's a ton of stuff to unpack there, right? There's no redundancy with directors, right? There's only one of us. And you're right, we're all, the reason that a director is there is mostly for course correction, right? Like by the time you're shooting, for the most part, there's a lot of things that are relatively self-sufficient, right? So when you were talking about your producer being able to step in, you know, the look is going to be consistent. The performances are going to be pretty consistent. Certainly there'd be things that you would change
2: and tweak if you were there, and and that's always. I mean, I guess I would argue, it, it depends how complicated the project is like an okay go video would probably be hard to like replace the director halfway through, you know, because they have such a specific vision. Oh no, the camera supposed to be at this angle for this shot to work and this angle for this shot to work. And you can't just be like, Oh, we'll, we'll just do it. You know, someone else will just step in and direct, you know, right. a, a drama or like a rom-com or something like that, where it's like, anyone can read a scene and be like, Oh yeah, I, yeah. I get this with us. It's like, Again, it's like we have all these weird props and weapons and things that connect with each other. And it's like, that's why the showrunners who have kind of been involved in every step could have probably managed to take over for me. But yeah, but they were gone. Not at any fault of theirs. Like, you know, everyone understood. Sure. I actually had this situation once where I got a call at like 7 a.m. from a producer that I work with a lot saying, hey, The director on my shoot today, which is a shoot I was somewhat involved with, I was helping with our VFX, he got a kidney stone and he, like, literally can't stand up or function on set anymore. Do you mind coming over? We have, like, the whole crew here. Do you mind just coming and directing this commercial? (laughs) (laughs) And I came, and, you know, there were storyboards and there was a client, and we just kind of shot the boards. And I would say it came out pretty crappy. And I'm sure (laughs) a big part of it is because. I had never really been invested. Not only that, you also have this like ticket out of saying like, "Oh, well, it's not my fault that it's bad because I I just like stepped in to cover for someone." Right? Like they're right. the ones that set it all up. So you're kind of removing anyone responsible from a project. And you know, when you're making movies or commercials or whatever, if no one feels responsible, then it's not going to be good. You know? Yeah, you need I mean, people it, that want it to be awesome. Well, and I think you know, it's partially due to
1: like the. Uh, us being at the specific budget level, right? Where expectations are high enough that you, everyone wants it to be great, but budgets aren't so big that you could afford to postpone the shoot, right? Which is what right. you would do. Right. Uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio shows up right.
2: to the Wolf of Wall Street, his, his voice is hoarse. They're like, okay, let's postpone for a day. Right. Or it, it, the revenant, right? They ran out of snow, so they're like, let's put it on hold for six months until we find some snow. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, there's also insurance
1: that, you know, like there's, I think, it isn't like being bonded is basically like your act of God insurance, basically, your force majeure, right? Isn't that what that is? Um yeah. So I think, you know, again, that part of it is like this world that we're kind of all living in right now where... You can only get maximum quality if most things go right, which is a tricky thing, right? You know, like filmmaking is always a, a, a dirty, dangerous business. And like you were saying, like, you know, locations can fall through, people can get sick, and, you know, the show has to go on in a way that the revenant, they did not have to worry about that quite the same way.
2: Right. I will admit that like as we were setting up the shoot and they kept postponing we were originally supposed to start February first and it, then it went to February seventh, then February fifteenth. I was like aware that it was like sneaking, slowly creeping into my the due date of my wife. And I'd already been prepping for a month and I was kind of freaked out that like they were gonna replace me because I was gonna tell them like, hey, I can't shoot, you know, March twenty-first on the due date. Right. And I hadn't been paid yet. And so I didn't know like if they replace me like a month into prep, am I still going to get paid? I, you know, it, it got really, <laughs> really weird. Um, yeah, I guess it's just life, and I'm sure it happens in a lot of jobs, but these freelance jobs, it's probably much more common. I just remembered a story. My friend Jen, she produced this movie, The Elijah Wood. They had it all set up, all ready to go, ready to shoot. On the way to frickin' the first day of shooting, the director gets a phone call, her sister just died in a car accident. And her sister was like her best friend and roommate or whatever. It was just like insane. So they had to replace the director on day one of the shoot. And then the movie went to Sundance. So I guess whoever the replacement was ended up doing a pretty good job. That is incredible. Yeah, well, I, you know, you're really put to the test, right? Like,
1: like we're all kind of in this because we love it and it's never been easy. But I think everyone kind of gets pushed to that limit of like what is the – deciding factor in when you have to say, hey, you know what, I can't do this anymore. This, is, this isn't this is what I want to do. And certainly I've watched plenty of friends who've kind of decided like, oh, you know, the rejection is hard or like getting started is too much. And so I think it's really interesting to just kind of see how it goes, right? Because you, you hear your stories about like people who are making The Revenant or something like that. <laughs> and how, you know, I wonder like
2: if I'd be like, well, maybe... Maybe we should stop. Right. Well, so keeping it on the same subject, but changing the angle a little bit, what's your policy about people bringing their personal stuff to set? I I know like one of the most annoyed I've ever been was when this actress was on set. Shoot, she might listen to this podcast. Anyway, it was years ago. She She probably would agree with me. But we were like running behind as usual, like two hours behind. We're trying to shoot these scenes. And she was like, I'm sorry, I can't shoot right now. And I was like, why? She's like, this is, you can, you'll know how long ago this was in this next sentence. But she's like, My MySpace account got hacked. And now it's like, whoever hacked it is sending messages to all these people. And I'm getting all these emails saying that, like, why am I sending them, like, you know, porn site links? And so I, I need to fix this. I just, I, I have to fix this right now. And I was like, Are you insane? First of all, you shouldn't have clicked on whatever you clicked on. Okay. <laughs> For starters, it's your fault that you got hacked. But second of all, like you're on a job and there's like 50 people waiting for you to come act. You know, I'm sorry, like deal with that tonight. I, and actually, even on this shoot, I had like an extra, I was supposed to have these two Salt, like guys play these like military guard type guys. And then we're on set and I hear the AD's like, hey, uh, what size shirt are you? Like asking crew members. And I was like, what's going on? Why are you asking people? And he's like, well, one of our extras just left. He said his grandma just died and he had to leave. And I was like, Oh, she did. And he's like, Well, I don't know. I hear that all the time from extras. Yeah. So, like, what's what's your policy on like bringing personal stuff to work? Because I'm usually trying to like really stay away from it and not let it affect me because I don't want to be known as that guy that's like he's having a bad day in his family life, so right. he's not reliable.
1: Well, I think that it's different for directors versus performers, right? Like being on screen. You know, you're already feeling vulnerable in a sort of very specific way, and like, oftentimes, like, bringing up old feelings of you know that could make you upset or sad or anxious or any you know whatever the scene is. Like, people are kind of mining those those emotions at any given time. So, so that's tricky. And I, you know, I think there's a spectrum, right? Like, the director's job is to set the tone of the set, right? So, I think that you and I both really want to make sure that that tone is always professional and upbeat and fun and energized and stoked on whatever job it is you're doing, right? So that goes hand in hand with like, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, well, I'm kind of like just feeling down today, which happens Yeah, or to my everybody. girlfriend and I got in a fight this morning. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, um, I can't think of a specific time where I've been distracted in that way. Certainly there's always a ton of things going on with the set. But I think maybe because and I'm sure you can relate, we're both kind of workaholics. So like in kind of the classic sense of like, oh, this is a way that I really enjoy working through things or thinking through things or expressing myself. And so I think that we're lucky enough to have this opportunity to maybe work some of that stuff out in your scene work and in your art. And so it's not quite so pent up, right? Whereas performers, I think... It's just kind of a different deal.
2: Did you see the Grease live broadcast on Fox or whatever? I haven't yet, no, yeah. Well, it's not live anymore, so you might as well not watch it. It's one of those things that because it's live, it's very impressive, but it's not like amazing TV to watch. But Vanessa Hudgens is one of the stars in it, and her dad died the night before. Sure. Um, This live show for millions of people on broadcast network television, and she, you know, killed it like on screen You know, she still showed up. She still did a great job and, you know, and everyone knew about it. And it's kind of this nice gesture. And she said, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to do he would have wanted me to do this. You know, all that stuff that you hear. But I thought she was awesome, you know, and she like she couldn't be replaced. I'm sure they all had understudies, but, you know, and, and that's kind of to me, one of the things that makes a professional person. My other thought kind of related is like I kind of feel like there's two types of consistently working directors Mm-hmm. There's like the geniuses, the mad geniuses, the Wes Anderson's and the James Cameron's and the Michael Bay's like as good or bad as you think their movies are. Like there is some genius to them and everyone's afraid of them. even like Ben Stiller's and oh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who I sat next to today at Sugarfish. Um, Whoa. They, you know, they have these reputations for like yelling at people and firing people and being insane, but they make this amazing stuff. And then there's the rest of us, like you and me, who I think are like the low drama directors, you know? Mm -hmm. Like we show up and like something can go wrong and we don't freak out. We're like, okay, well, what? How? let's deal with it, you know? Let's fix it. Someone can die in our family or we can have a baby and we can still show up to set and be like, okay, what are we shooting now? Let's block the scene. Let's (laughs) figure out where to put the camera. Let's light it and let's shoot it and let's move on. And it's like, I, I think that is one trait, that I have is I mean, obviously I'd rather be that genius crazy director that's yelling at people all the time and making amazing stuff. But I think the reason I you and I consistently get work is because we're reliable, you know? Right. Yeah. No, absolutely.
1: I think we talk about this on the podcast all the time. You know, there's the question of knowing when to throw a tantrum and when to stick to your guns and when to say no, it has to be better than, you know, the money that we have or there's all sorts of different tactics that everyone's dealing with to get what they want. And I think that nice guying is a tactic for sure. And you know, we talk about it all the time. I really firmly believe that building loyalty and collaborating with people is a way to get the best results out of them. And that if I thought that yelling and screaming would really help a situation, maybe I'd try it out. I don't know. Probably not, probably not. Because I wouldn't be any good at it.
2: I've came up with a new tactic on this show I'm on right now. It seems to be working pretty well. Do tell. I mean, I'm, I, you and I, I think are always more or less nice guys, even like when I only slept for like half an hour one night and I felt like I was being kind of mean to the AD and a few other people like the AD is like, OK, guys, let's go again. I was like, I, I want another take. It's like, OK, guys, let's uh, roll again. Let's go right away and roll cameras. And I was like, "Uh, I want another take, but I want to give them direction. Why would I want another take without changing anything? <laughs> and then later at lunch, I was like, hey, I'm sorry. I was kind of like yelling. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you know, I've been kind of grumpy today because I didn't sleep much last night. He's like, oh, I, I totally didn't notice you seem normal and nice to me. So I don't know. I, I think I think we're kind of known as nice guys. But so my new thing is like whenever I'm given options like, you know, the costume designer, or the art or the production designer and the DP comes and so it's like like I'll say like, you know, let's do this kind of like slow dolly that creeps in. And then DP's like, oh, well, I kind of was thinking like, what if we do the steady cam and it whips around here and here? And I'm like, well, you know what? I'll let you win this one. Like, you can have that one. Um, <laughs> y- y- I'll let you win this one. And so I'll like, keep, like, anytime there's a choice and, like, I go with whatever they recommend, whether I like it or not. I, and usually I'll only go with it because I like it also. Sure. I'll, like, make sure they know that they've won that battle um, <laughs> so, that, so that when I want them to just do what I want to do that they don't necessarily like, I'll be like, look you know, you want all these, like, let me just win one, one sure, time. Sure. Well, and <laughs> well. I think that that's
1: always the point, right? It's like you, you put your foot down when you really mean it. And if you, if you're screaming all the time, then it's an arms race, right? And you have to figure out what's the real nuclear option, right? But if you're nice all the time and then you have to really put your foot down that one time, then people know it and they, you know, they know that you mean it. And you can still show people respect and do it in a way that's constructive. And because you've shown them that you're all on the same team and that you're all collaborators together and that you value them, they don't hold it against you. And then you can go work with them again the next day. And it's not a toxic relationship.
2: Yeah. And you can ask them for crazy things like the night before a shoot. And sometimes they'll give them to you, you know, and, and, they know that you realize that it's a crazy request you're asking. That, right, you know? right. Um, uh, and oftentimes because that's how you lead yeah.
1: <laughs> the question. <laughs> exactly. uh, but yeah, so uh, going back to, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about the different roles that people have. The, I think there is kind of a tricky double standard that I find myself falling into sometimes where the higher the status of the person is, you know, like are they the DP? Are they the star of your show? is it like a big time producer, the easier it is to kind of accommodate them. And like background is always, they're kind of typically in terms of like the pecking order, the, at the bottom of the barrel. Right. That's the brutal truth. And so, um, like they're,
2: like they're below the PAs, unfortunately. And and even we just had this pretty big background day. We had 50 aliens at the Argyle club in Hollywood and at catering, like we had our catering and they had their own catering. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, I think it was the same food, but I don't know. We might have had like a little more steak and they might have had a little more chicken. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is, it's weird. And by the way, I like fell in love with filmmaking through being an extra. So I have like sure. the utmost respect for, for background performers. Absolutely. Um, it, you know, it, it's a hard job
1: for sure. and. You know, it's a job just like anything else, and there are good extras and there are bad background actors. And like the ones that you notice that are like into it and trying and like, you know, you can tell are probably more interested in being a, a performer proper and so you try to reward those people, right? Because as long as they're not too forward about anything, like, you know, you there are opportunities to give them an upgrade of like giving them a line or two or like featuring them, you know. And so, you know, you're always thinking of ways to positively reinforce the sort of behavior you're looking for on on set. But when background has a reason that they need to leave early, it drives me insane because the whole point of them being there is to be in the shot. And so my heart always goes out to performers when they've got an audition or something like that. But a couple of times I've kind of overheard people trying to maybe like duck out a little bit earlier, things like that. And I kind of have started. Or
2: they'll be like, what time are we going to finish? Yeah, know? yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And, and, like, and, and um, I don't know, dude. I just I have a policy of like just letting them know like, they get to make the decision. But if they want to
2: leave, they're not invited back. Mm. You, know, you, the and it, director, make that known to them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You, you yeah. say that to them, or you tell mm-hmm. your AD to say that to them.
1: Oh, no, no, I'll say it to their face, for sure. You know, in a, like I said, in a polite way, and I, I always mention that, like, I'm married to an actor, I understand opportunities are important and precious, and there's opportunity cost. And I get it, I don't take it personally at all. So that, that's kind of why I do it personally, it's because I want, you know, I want to show them respect. You know what I mean? I'm not going to have right. like someone go do my dirty work, but I've kind of uh, over the years just gotten much firmer with it. You know, your job is to be here in the frame, period. Mm-hmm. Like if a gaffer walked up and was like, hey, dude, like I want to leave like two hours early, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Like who's going to fucking load the truck or whatever? You know, like
2: we're yeah. we're working. Um, it's a job. And you're job. committed to these hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well I have actually I have a few interesting stories about extras. Well, one I have this policy that I I hate the name background. Like I hate calling people background. It seems like demeaning to me. Oh, that's um, funny. I
1: I think of it the other way around. Where extras is the demeaning term and uh, that background well, bo- actors.
2: Both of them, extras, background I almost always like try to call them by what role they are like the club goers dancers Mm -hmm. patrons club patrons okay let's have our restaurant goers over here let's have our angry mob over here you know and it's like Mm -hmm. I don't know just treating them like actors I I just don't like the word background maybe if they don't care then I guess that's fine but for me it's like well I, I think it also I love that strategy
1: of kind of calling out their roles a little bit more specifically because that also sets the tone, right? Like there's a difference between saying and background and saying and party people, right? Like you're you can just with inflection and with your word choices, it's another opportunity to say action, basically.
2: Right. Yeah. And And there's even these give them
1: a little something special.
2: Yeah. And there's even like little things you can give them. Like we just did this club scene. And I mean everyone does this when they shoot a club scene, but we were at a real club, so they had this amazing sound system. So instead of just being like, okay, guys, dance, come on, dance, couldn't bigger party, like, like yeah, instead yeah. of trying to motivate them, like, we just put on this, like, super loud, booming, bassy sound uh, audio. Ready, guys, and dance and dance, and you're moving, move to the beat, and have fun. We're having our main actors and our background actors all doing the same thing, and cut the music and action, you know? And yeah, yeah. And you, at least you're kind of helping them get into the mood instead of just like yelling at them. I don't know. I just like, I just don't like it when they're. I feel like they're disrespected. Anyway, so the other interesting thing about them, so on our first day, we shot these, like, military scenes and we had these soldiers and scientists and stuff, and I was, like, telling them to go here and stand here and go faster. And, you know, on set, like, I don't know, I, you, we've talked about this before, I'm a super handsy director. Like, if I want to move a, an actor's mark, I'll just move it. I don't, I'm not going to go find. tell the DP to find the camera operator, tell the AC to come over here, and they'll be like, what mark needs to move where? Where and a mark needs to move an inch. So I'll move it and everyone will be like, uh, or, there's people whose job it is to do that. Or like, if I need a desk moved a few inches over, I'll just like scoot it over. Even though the art department's supposed to do that or a light or a C stand or whatever. I just like, don't like wasting time calling for 80 people to like audition, which is, you know, the word we use on set to see what something looks like, but that might not even look good. So everyone's like always like telling me to like, not do other people's jobs and like the ad at the end of the first day it's like hey you know if you want to direct the the extras you gotta the background like go through me okay and i'm like yeah yeah whatever second day i'm doing it again because you know he's like in the bathroom so i'm telling the background where to go and then the end of that day the ad team had to talk with me and they're like hey this is like a sag shoot you're right. literally not allowed to direct the background actors uh, as a director because it puts them in a different category. And I had no idea about that. Did you ever hear about this thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think I first learned of it when
1: I was doing a non-SAG shoot. You know, AD maybe said something like, well, since it's a non-union shoot, it's okay. And it was sort of like a way of saying like, hey, I've got it, you know, I can do my job and you can you do your job. But I'll bend the rules for you, wink, wink, right? It was a, a friendly way of sort of saying that. But right. yeah, you, absolutely, it does. It, it, you can potentially bump a ton of your background actors into a higher pay grade. Even you know, it can be like a real financial difference.
2: See, here I'm yeah. thinking and, that, and, like, and I think that it's a nice thing that the director is directing the the background people. They feel like they're actors and they're cared about. It. and I'm always like, "What's your name?" I'm like the guy that knows every extra's name. Like by the end of the day. And all of a sudden I'm like not allowed to talk to them. And I've done SAG stuff before, but I don't know, I've never, I don't know, I've done a lot of non-union stuff lately and I guess I just haven't really realized I'm not, I'm not allowed to talk to the extras. Yeah.
1: I I wonder about like even, you know, moving marks or things like that, if that's technically breaking union rules as well. Oh, well, fuck that.
2: Like (laughs) I'm not going to waste an hour of every day waiting for people to move stuff, you know? And it's not like I'm ruining things. You know, I'm not going to go change the settings on the camera or go up to the makeup person, like plug their blow dryer in and put things. But if there's like a hair in Anna's eye, I'm going to move it over instead of like trying to find the hair person who's like working on somebody else. Like in a room like, you know, five minutes away from here. So I just like get really annoyed by time wasting when it's something that's really easy that any human being can do. Like I get that people are in charge of their equipment and they need it in certain places and you can't just start moving all their stuff. But I also feel like when you're the director or producer and AD, like you you get to be part of the group that's moving the day forward, you know? And Mm -hmm. if the, your crew isn't working fast enough, then it's like on them. It's like, the AC should have been there, like seeing that I that I'm re blocking the actors and she should have moved the mark, you know? Um Yeah,
1: and I, I think that there's sometimes, you know, different power dynamics or different expectations that people are setting, you know? And I think it's a thing that as we grow you try and kind of figure out how you like to do things a little bit. Like you always hear stories about David Venture, you know, if he ever sees someone on their phone like not not working, he like says, Hey, I'm you're not going to come back tomorrow. Really? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and it's it's very cut and dry. It's like, hey, listen, you're not working, so we must not need you. Thank that you. Reminds me. So we're done.
2: Yeah. Yesterday I was, uh, you know, I had my eulogy written on the f- my phone. Like when the first person that was talking about my uncle went, like I got all these ideas of things I wanted to write. And I was like sitting in like the front row and I was like, I really want to say these things and I know I'm going to forget them unless I write them in my phone right now, but how rude is it to like use your phone when someone was like talking about someone that just passed away. Anyway, I ended up doing it, but I made it very clear when I got up there that I was reading off of my phone. So hopefully people <laughs> made the <laughs> people connection know. that the rude guy on his phone was actually just working yeah. on his, his speech. <laughs> yeah. Uh, background people. It's I, I love, it. that's my favorite, my favorite favorite way to add production value to anything is background people, is adding people into the shot. And I learned that from, I had this friend, Liam Sullivan, we talked about him many times. He did that video, Shoes, that was a viral video years ago. And he would do these no-budget videos, and he'd get like 40 people to come out, you know, to be in them. And his videos just always felt so big. Everything seemed like a party, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'd just be like embarrassed to ask like one person to come out. So that's all I love. I just, I feel like people really can make anything look good and you know we're shooting at Laurel Canyon Stages which is it's the only like standing spaceship set in LA which means they have a spaceship there and you can go film it and it they will never take it down and so anyone in LA that needs a spaceship goes and films it there and everyone's stuff looks exactly the same so it's an issue so the way that I'm trying to make it look different which is a way I haven't really seen before is I'm gonna pack it full of extras I'm gonna have like 20 people Uh, walking up and down the hallway so it feels like Star Wars or Star Trek or something or not not just two people like lost in space walking mm-hmm. down this hallway so basically I'm hiding the sets with people yeah well we should have uh Eric Kissack on again I know he did some commercials with creatures and he thought it was yeah, yeah. fascinating and we should do like an episode on like special effects makeup, special and effects creatures stuff. because yeah it's really fun and I think it's I haven't really done much of it because I always was kind of scared that it would be expensive and take a while mm-hmm. and not look as good as like the Hollywood stuff. Right. It is somewhat expensive, but not prohibitively. And there's like this community, like we have like people working on our show that were on that show face off that have done like, you know, huge, you know, and she, this makeup artist, Chloe that was on face off and is on our show is moving on to guardians of the galaxy after this. Like it's kind of this small community of special effects, makeup artists and they want to work. And so you can get them to do stuff and it, it's, kinda, it's, kinda yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a big learning curve for me. It,
1: it's always wonderful to be, there's a kind of, there are the, these sub-communities, right, you know, of like special effects makeup or pyrotechnics or stunts. like stunts or even, um, you know, like custom built sort of lighting like rigs or like lighting the, um, rigs or, or creature effects. Bullet time or,
2: camera setups. yeah
1: Yeah. Or even drone guys, right? Yeah. And they're always so fun to be around because like, they're living their dream, you know what I mean? They're just like kind of quirky guys who love fire or love, you know, building robots or whatever. And, you know, they're on set for a very specific thing. It's got a huge wow factor, you know? So like when their shots are up, people are always super excited, you know what I mean? And they're just kind of like a hoot. I always try to sit with those people at lunch if I've got like a, a, a fire day or something.
2: Well, anyway... I can't wait for people to watch this show that I'm directing. I have no idea if it's going to be good or not, but I know that we are having a lot of fun making it and we're getting really cool shots and I'm, I don't know. So far I'm like really happy with everything and I, I'm surprised by that because usually I'm like really bummed about everything. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm I'm kind of excited about it. Cool. Well, I, I, we all can't wait to see Anna kind of, Um, Yes. And we should, we'll have her on too. She's super awesome.
1: And she's a director in her own right. Well, Oren, like we're all super excited to check out the show. Keep us updated as I'm sure you will. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we'll stay tuned uh, in the meantime. Unpaid endorsements. Oren, do you have an unpaid endorsement?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a weird endorsement that just came to me. (laughs) But, you know, I, I think like as creatives, and we've talked about this on the show before, you know, a lot of people, including myself, when you move to LA and Hollywood, you kind of like are trying to not be in relationships and not get tied down to anything. Cause you kind of always think of like, you have your personal life and your work life and it's really hard to make it in Hollywood. So you're going to put a hundred percent of your time and effort and energy into work and not worry about girlfriends or boyfriends or why, you know, marriage or family, like all that stuff. Cause you look at it as competing with each other. And I, I read this book years ago. I forget what book it was. It was something about like directing or Hollywood or something. And it it talked about how like you can find the right people that support you. It's like so much better to do it, to have a partner, you know, and they're there for you when you're failing and they're there for you. They're like the first person you call when you get a job or whatever. And it's like, I guess the endorsement is if you are very young and just kind of moving to LA or Hollywood or getting into filmmaking and you are thinking to yourself, like, I don't know, there's this great scene in Whiplash where uh, Miles Teller tells his girlfriend, he's like, hey, I don't have time to be with you because I'm focusing on my career. It's like everyone kind of has that thought, I think, when they first move here. And if you can just rethink about it, like, hey, I, I wish I had like my team, whether they're in the industry or not, they're the your like emotional support kind of changes everything. And like I just had a daughter and I'm having like one of the best shoots of my life at the same time. Like, <laughs> I guess it's just an endorsement for like being open to like kind of family and relationships and all that stuff and not look at them as something that's like competing with your career or work, something that can actually help and inspire you. And obviously now it's like, I'm wondering why no one ever set a scene in like a hospital, like intro course. Like there's all these things that you go through that are like so fascinating about kids and babies and life and marriage and weddings that like, you know, you can mine for your, for creativity and, you know, and it's just, it's just really cool. Now I feel like, super excited that I'm making this stuff and I can show it to my daughter and I don't know it's it's just cool so my endorsement is to if you are a person that thinks it's like family versus career you know to maybe try to think about it as like family and career being like the uh, greater you know (laughs) that the sum can be greater than the parts if you if you're with the right people so it's a weird endorsement but I'm, I'm going with that (laughs) <laughs> well, I love that. That's, that's great and
1: uh, perfectly timed, obviously. My unpaid endorsement is uh, far less uh, meaningful than that, actually. Um, Good. I think that's but, what they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's nice to um, have a nice uh, mixture. So my endorsement is actually an article from businessinsider.com It's called This is the Most Bizarre Movie Set Story Ever from an actor and mysterious director, Terrence Malick's new Night of Cups. And it's basically a short little story about Tom Lennon, who we've mentioned on the show before, Thomas Lennon from Reno 911 and the state, did a single day worth of performing in Terrence Malick's new movie, Night of Cups. And Thomas Lennon admits that he didn't really know how Terrence Malick shoots things. You know, he was like vaguely familiar with him, but didn't, hadn't seen like Thin Red Line or Tree of Life or any of these kind of very lyrical, semi-improvised kind of stream of consciousness films. And so he kind of recounts the crazy story of going from not knowing what the fuck is going on or what he's supposed to be doing or what this movie even is to uh, the end of an 11 hour shoot day. Just saying, like, it was totally incredible and unlike anything he'd ever done, and that he would absolutely, you know, do it again anytime he was ever asked. I love it because it's a combination of kind of two different filmmakers that I love equally, basically. Like, I think Thomas Lennon is a genius, and so is Terrence Malick, and they're kind of combined together into this weird mashup of, of experiences. And I love it. So, uh, and I think also it's this thing where. Terrence Malick makes these kind of highfalutin philosophical movies, but you know, famously, he said that Zoolander was one of his favorite movies of all time, and that no way co- seriously, yeah, he quotes it to his friends all the time. He put it on like his top ten list of all time, and Ben Stiller once sent him a birthday message dressed as Derek Zoolander in character. Cool, such a weird that is, thing. That's very weird. That's, I met him. That's once, my favorite. Terrence Wait, you Malick? met him? No.
2: Did you really? Yeah. yeah. Wait, for real? Yeah. I mean, it was very casual. He was finishing Tree of Life on The Lot. It's a lot called The Lot. And I was coloring my movie there. And my colorist, like, knew Terrence Malick because they had been, you know, he, you know how he, like, edits his movies for years. Sure, so He'd yeah. been there for, like, a year every day at the commissary. And he's like, Terrence, how's it going? And, um, you know, we talked about color correction for, like, a minute. <laughs> and then... Uh, he left. He didn't say anything insightful or memorable, but I did sure. introduce myself. That's I, a, I was a fan. That's the best,
1: man, boy. Well, maybe uh, listeners, if you've ever met Terrence Malick. Uh, drop, <laughs> or drop us a tweet or anyone <laughs> uh, drop
2: us a tweet at just shoot it pod you can follow me at mr. maddenlo and you can follow me at Piling. and you can check out the show notes at just shoot com and we'd love to hear from you you know we are very eager to find out what people are thinking about the show what people are thinking about directing and hopefully we can get more of a conversation going And it's also insanely helpful if you guys just, like, rate us and leave a review on iTunes, positive or negative. Please do that if you're trying to kill some time. It would be very, very awesome for us. Thanks, guys. This episode was edited by Eric Carpeau. Music by Steve
1: Combs. Take it away, Steve.
2: Cool. All right. I'm on. I'm on like flan. Like flan? Like flan? Like flan.
1: I'm no, it's like flan, I guess. You're right. Cool. I love flan. It's good stuff.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh.